Hairdressing, business, beauty, products, people, interviews, fitness, health, well-being. I'm Nathan Plumridge and welcome to Hair Life. Can you do me a favor? Hit the subscribe button or the share button wherever you can see it. Thank you. My guest today is an entrepreneur. She's an award-winning stylist. She's a salon owner. She's a mum. And from what I can see all over her socials, she's a pretty funny lady as well. Welcome, Callie Borge, to Hair Life. How are you doing? Thank you very much. I'm very good, thank you. How are you? Oh, I'm great. I mean, I'm glad that we finally got there. We had some technical issues to start off. Um, and for those, my, those of my listeners, you understand that we have that on a regular occurrence because this is the, the world in which we live in now. So, Callie, you finally made it onto the show. I've been trying to get you on for a little while, but we've yeah. got there. We've got there in the end. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, no worries. It's fantastic. I've just had a, a, a brief chat uh, with Callie to kind of find out a bit of her background story. And I think it's one of those today that I think you're going to really enjoy. Um, what I always like to do is just kind of open the floor to you, Callie. Let's let the listeners uh, know about you and how did you kind of get into the industry? What was it? Where was your training? Where did you take it? And where is it has got you to this kind of today? Okay, well, I started hairdressing actually about... 14, 15, as like a Saturday girl. Mm -hmm. And then I went into hairdressing straight away when I left school. I actually left school a bit early because I was naughty. Um, so I, yeah, I left school, I went straight into hairdressing. So I was not a very good academic at all. Um, couldn't sit still in a classroom. Just that's just not my thing at all. However, I got into hairdressing. I was so focused, like from day one, because I just knew it was for me. So I started out at John Khan in Wimbledon Village, um, and then I went on to Tony and Guy and Charles Wormington before I kind of broke out into the freelance world. Um, in each salon, I had a really great experience. I learned different things and took different different things from each salon. Um, and Charles Wormington, I got offered the position to be a PA for their art directors. So I kind of went in as like a, I suppose, like a junior type stylist type thing. And then they sort of said, look, oh, you can have this position where... It's basically a glorified assistant for the art directors. And first of all, I was a little bit like, am I not good enough? You know, what's going on? But actually, when I saw that opportunity, I was like, hang on a minute, this is amazing. I'm going to get to be like the right-hand girl for these two amazing art directors. Um, so I got to work with them one-on-one -on, -one on the salon floor and then go and do other stuff like artistically. So I went to do like shows and stuff with them, which was really, really interesting. And that is where I'd say the light sparked for me. So I then started to think, well, what else is out there? So I, I don't mind being in a salon. I liked being in a salon. What I didn't like was being told when I could and couldn't go on holiday. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I hear that. Every day. Yeah, I've always had it in me that like, I'm a team player, 100%. And I'll do anything for anybody, but I don't like to be controlled in any way. And I've learned that as I've gone through life, I've learned that I'm very much like independent of my own person. So that kind of lit a spark like, wow, there's quite a lot in this industry rather than just the salon. And then I decided, well, I'd really like to learn wedding hair. And it wasn't really a possibility at Charles Burbington because obviously you're, you're in the salon on Saturday. So I decided, right, I'm going to leave here, take a year out go and learn wedding hair, and then I'll come back and apply for a salon. So I went to do that. I went to work um, with Jo Irvin from Love Hair. So she was yeah. a friend of mine. We'd worked together in a salon called Saks. So we kind of knew each other anyway. She was just starting a um, wedding company. So I went to do some training with her and 
started doing weddings, which I did like, but weddings, I would say, are not my thing. So it kind of worked for me at the time, but then I was just, I got bored of it very quickly. But in the midst of that, I met a photographer who just basically thought I was really funny and took me under his wing um, and he really liked my work. So I was just messing around with him on the at the wedding and he was like, basically, you've got crap in personality, come and work with me again. And then he said, oh, I'm doing this shoot next week. Do you want to come and join me? So I was like, yeah, sure. Having absolutely no experience of how to do a photo shoot, literally not thinking. I was like 20, something like that, like not thinking at all. I wasn't nervous. I just went, yeah, yeah, sure. So I got there and then we both very quickly realised that actually I wasn't really experienced enough. <laughs> I love that. Love it. Shoot before I was like, no. So he kind of really took me under his wing and was like, do you know what? You can absolutely do this. You just need to be aware of where the light is, blah, blah, blah. And I suppose as hairdressers, we're creative. We pick things up. We can see it. So that is a photo shoot I would never forget because I learned so much in, at the deep end, big time. Um, so that that kind of got me into that. And then, then on there, I met like a makeup artist, a stylist. And then before I knew it, I was kind of being recommended for other stuff. And I came across two makeup artists who I still talk to now, um, Natalia Lenny and Natasha Smith. And they were absolutely incredible to me at the start of my career. So they wanted to do makeup. They didn't want to do hair. They wasn't interested in hair. And they'd be like, right, you do the hair, I'll do the makeup. So it was, I was kind of going along to their jobs, but yeah. building up a portfolio. Um, but I did just did some really incredible stuff, like um, worked with loads of different celebrities, TV, magazine. And then I got recommended to work for Amanda Holden. So I did her sort of personal styling. So that was, I'd go to her house, blow dry her hair a couple of times a week. Then I ended up doing ITV for that for a little while, which was great. Um, so my freelance career was really busy. So I was in and out of like London and Surrey, basically just taking any job that came to me. So one minute I'd just be doing your, your regular highlights and a cut and blow dry. And the next minute I'd be doing a photo shoot or a show or something. So it was really crazy, um, but it was great. Um, and that all worked out really well until I had my daughter. She's actually 11 at the weekend, but um, I just kind of thought, oh, well, after I've had the baby, I'll just go and do a couple of days a week. But not really realising that they really work like that in the freelance yeah. world. So that was a big custard pie in the face. I was like, right, now I've got no money, a baby to look after. I'm knackered. I don't really know where I'm going. So I basically just started doing a lot more local stuff. Um, I still did work for Amanda at that time and she was absolutely amazing like there's a couple of times that she'd been like look just bring the baby with you it's fine it's just an hour like come bring the baby she's she'd had her little girl Holly at the same time so I have to say she was incredibly like um, accommodating she was really nice um so yeah so I basically just was winging it for a good sort of three to five years but I was building like a regular clientele around having my daughter I ended up a single parent when she was one so that couple of years of my life was really crazy. Um, I don't really know how I got through that, but we did. I basically just took her everywhere with me and just got on with it. Um, but we got through it and then I decided to start working from home. So when she was um, when she was going to bed at 7, 7.30, I was like, well, actually, I can do what I like because I'm a freelancer. So there's no opening hours, shutting hours. So actually, it works for me to work during the day while she's um, at nursery and then to work in the evenings while she's in bed because I'm a single parent. I've got nothing else to do while she's in bed. 
So, so, um, so that's what I did. I literally worked until I just worked myself to the to the grave. Honestly, it was horrendous. But at the time, it worked for me because I was like, right, it's working. I'm earning money. It's not affecting Eliza. It will be fine. And then when I met my partner, Andy, which was seven years ago now, he was like, why do you work such mental hours? Like, he just thought I was nuts, uh, which I was, to be fair. Um, and I was just like, well, it's just, he's like, how can you work until 10, 11 o'clock at night? I'm like, I'm just a hairdresser. That's what hairdressers do which I'm completely against now, but I don't, you know, no judgment because I've done it myself, but now I'm the total opposite. So Andy actually taught me a lot in that respect because he was like, well, you know, we sort of became a family. He's got three kids, I've got one. So that I then sort of became, you know, me and my daughter to actually this really busy, like at at one point the kids were all in different schools. So it would be like, right, you pick that one up, I'll pick that one up, you do this, you do that. It was nuts. And Andy's a really like full on amazing dad. But, you know, when you're when you're a partnership, you do everything together. So life changed quite dramatically. And I sort of wanted to spend my time with Andy and the kids. And I realised that actually I was spending way too much time just squeezing in another haircut. I didn't have to do it then because I had the support of Andy. Um, But me being me, I just I didn't I've had my business for a long time. I've always been go, go, go. And I was just like, no, it's fine. It's fine. And a couple of times, Andy would be like, Kelly, do you really have to work all the evening? Do you really have to work? Like, sometimes I'd be going to a wedding at the weekend and he'd have, like, all four kids, like, dropping them to different clubs, taking them swimming. And I'd be like, yeah, I'll just off to a wedding. See ya. So. <laughs> it's such an interesting thing because I think I think people don't realise what the hairdressing industry is it's like. Not, I not, really don't. Yeah. I, mean, I, I always revert back to, again, I was, I was just really resonating with what you said about the hours that you used to work. When I opened the salon, um, I literally used to start at eight in the morning and I would work until 10 o'clock. And I can always remember people would be going past our salon into town for dinner yeah. and they would beep. And then as they were coming back, they would beep again. And it would be like, yeah, I'm still here. I'm still working. Just do that like it just doesn't it didn't actually like phase me before um and when people just say oh gosh you know you really work a lot of hours but I think I love my job I love talking to people and it never yes I was knackered I was really underweight and, un- and unhealthy but I was all right you know I was getting through it um and then one day I am absolutely fine now I had a health scare and that literally like that that was it life changed so I remember sitting there and I'd sort of had this phone call, I'd gone to have some blood tests and I remember sitting thinking to myself, gosh, if, if someone said to me, you know, the, the worst things happen, you've got six months to live or a year to live or whatever, am I really going to want to spend that last six months saying, well, I'll just squeeze in this extra haircut at 10 o'clock at night? So that was when I went, that was actually in the lockdown. So I think a lot was going on for all hairdressers at that point. Um, oh, that happened right oh, during that moment. That happened what? during the lockdown, yeah. yeah. Okay. I remember thinking, uh, in the lockdown, I was convinced we were just going to be locked down for like two weeks. And um, then I was like, okay, it might be a couple of months. <laughs> but I was always like, not desperate to get back to work, but I was always like, well, it's fine. Because once I open back up again, my business will still be there. So I wasn't, I wasn't terrified during the lockdown, but there was just a lot of things that I was a little bit sceptical of. Um, and then I started to think to myself, well, actually, this could be a brand new opportunity to kind of rewrite the brand. 
to sort of think to yourself, what what is it that I want? And I really sort of like sat in my office and I really thought to myself, what do I want from life? What is the most important things for me? Okay, the most important things are Andy and the kids. What do I want? I don't want to work evenings and weekends because I'm always getting told off by, by Andy and the kids because of that. Okay, so can I make this work? So then I thought, well, if I reduce my hours and these are my perfect hours that I want to work, I've either got to cull another 50% of my business, which I've worked really hard for, or I've got to look at a new strategy. And the strategy was, okay, I'm going to bring somebody in. So that person's going to look after those clients. Um, I will employ, so this girl from Chelsea, I employed her. The agreement was she came to work for me. I employed her. She did my my clients um, on a mentoring basis. So she basically came in under my wing and we went through every client before because obviously it was was locked down so we had the time to do that right this is who they are this is what they have you know this client doesn't like any warmth in her hair this client doesn't like this and we went through everything and that's when I realized I really loved helping people really liked mentoring people so that then lit another spark for me I was like I I want to do this this is what, what else I want to do so when Chelsea came in I nurtured her like she was one of my children I literally was like right so she came in she was very unconfident um you know had a bad time at other salons and stuff and I literally wrapped her up in cotton wool and really helped her become the stylist that she is today um which I, I know she's appreciative of so sure, then I realized sure. yeah I realized I really like doing this so um Chelsea then moved to Swindon which was two hours from us so she's gone off to do her own thing she's now got her own home salon um and I then brought in Polly um so to replace Chelsea and Polly was a completely different kettle of fish from Chelsea so she was very very independent immediately um and Chelsea will will not mind me saying this like Chelsea was an absolute nightmare because she was she was so messy and she was so different to me I was like so I I I had a lot to learn through Chelsea and Chelsea had a lot to learn through me and we always laugh about you know how much stress she put me under in the salon and I kind of just thought that was what it was when you had employees and then Polly came in and I was like wow this girl's like amazing because she just she's just got it like whatever whatever I said she just had it so she just I don't know she's just a very independent character so I sat down with Polly as her mentor and sort of said what do you want like what Chelsea needed to go away with was confidence and just more knowledge and she got that in her mentorship here and what Polly needed was direction. So I sat down, Polly and I went to a spa day, which was lovely. And we was like, well, what do you want? Where do you want to go? What do you want to earn? Because I'm new to being a boss. And if I want to keep my staff and everyone wants to be happy, it has to be a win-win situation. Like it can't just be. One of the problems I had working in a salon was I feel like I'm working like a dog and not getting paid very much. So I was always like the hourly rate has always been higher for the girls here than what they would be in an average salon. Um, and I just sort of sat down and said, where do you want to go? What what do you need to earn next year, three years, five years? Because then I knew what she wanted. She knew what she wanted. And then I could help her put that in place. It's really interesting you saying that because for me, that's been a really big part, I would say, actually, since COVID, that we've really worked with the team so closely on a one-to-one so it's not about 
you know, the whole team. It's about every individual. What is their personal goal? What is it they want to achieve? What do they want to earn? Where do they want to take it? And it's made, you know, just the biggest differences. I mean, I was on a coaching call last night and, you know, I had this moment of gratefulness when I said, you know, at the minute for me, this last week's been my team because my team are probably in the best place they've ever been. You know, there's this real, it's wonderful because there's this cohesion with everybody. There's nobody trying to outdo anybody. Everybody's just working together and just having such fun. And I think that's what our industry is about. And I think it's interesting with the mentoring scenario, because for me, I'm now coaching people in both areas, not within businesses, but also with their life coaching. And it's fascinating to take people on this journey. And, and it sounds like you're going on your own journey. Yeah, I'm learning now. through them. I'm learning through all of them. Mm-hmm. So so Polly um, is really into her colour. So we're going down the colour education route for Polly. And I'm, I'm really proud of, like, she's she's been here since April and she's smashed every goal that we've set for her. I'm really proud of her. She's doing amazing. And then Polly and I were really booked all the time so we're like right we're now bursting at the seams so we kind of need somebody else um again because it's a lifestyle business I could say well we'll just open more hours but that goes against our ethos so um we're open five days a week between sort of eight and six but the girls can choose so, so Beth works 10 hours a day four days a week and Polly works nine hours a day four days a week that's their choices of the hours that they wanted to do I only work two days a week in the salon So they both work Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but they alternate their Mondays and Fridays. So what that means is they get a four day weekend every other week. And in the midst of that, they just get, you know, the normal weekend off. So we don't do any evenings or weekends. And it means that I get to work with each of the girls both one day a week. And then the next week, I just swap which day I work with them because I work the Monday and Friday. So at the time of looking at taking on another stylist, I was like, well, I could me and Polly could do a few more hours and Polly had offered that but I was like well actually then we're going to go into burnout mode and it's not going to be what's right for us so we then I actually just needed someone three days a week but I thought Beth was right for us and she needed 40 hours so I was like all right is it now that you're moving in a different direction because listening to yeah because for me it's interesting because you kind of think okay so you've created this home salon that ultimately was you 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 fill the diary you then reach the stage where now right okay you need to expand so that one person sort of came in and then you've you've kind of filled that gap again is it is it kind of going in a different way that you didn't expect it to but it's kind of doing it naturally 100 yeah it organically grew We've got a really good reputation in Rygate and I really worked hard for that reputation. So I've definitely um, put a lot of time and effort into my business. I've put a lot of time and effort into my social media, which has which has given us, it, it was always built on word of mouth, but social media opened new doors to bring, to reach other people. We don't have a shop front. So social media was amazing for the business. And as I said earlier, like we're actually moving now. So I've we've organically grown out of the salon that we're in. It's four metres by four metres. It's a room, basically. And the whole ethos and the vibe is that it's a car. So it's a, it's a mini version of a salon. So a salon is lovely. It's very buzzy. It's very loud. What I wanted was a salon environment that was very quiet, almost a bit holistic. Um, so we've got a candle on we've got the music going we'll all have a laugh and a chat but it's just on a very small intimate level so what I find is 
was only two of us in there at one time. If for whatever reason I have to jump in and do a cut or whatever, it gets really loud. So I'm now like, I can see that I don't like that. So um, when we move to the new house, the salon will be slightly bigger and it will just be set out slightly differently to accommodate the problem we're, we're having here. So you're still sticking to the, the ethos that you want, but yeah. you're obviously having to expand to, yeah. to make it the, yeah. the right way and sit better. Yeah, so I won't ever have more than three stylists here because then I might as well go to a, to a high street. You know, the whole point of doing the home salon um, and sticking with the ethos um, it would be I would be mad to then have three or four stylists work at one time because it just wouldn't be right for what I'm doing so yeah so the brand I would say has organically changed like every couple of years as I've evolved the brand has evolved as well so I'm currently doing a new website and um we're kind of I've got all of my brand colors and stuff but we're kind of changing it a little bit so I, my brand colors are olive green pink and gray and I'm a real pink person. I love pink. And I've got a pink tile floor. But I realise that's me. That's not us as a brand. But what we are as a brand is sustainable. So I thought what I would do is I'll go more down the greeny grey side because that represents sustainability. And then I'll add the pink in. But I won't plaster the pink all over everyone's face. Like I did and it's, it's interesting as well when things naturally yeah. go. So it's not forced. Because that's the thing that I think that's the nicest thing about what we do. And I and I yeah. always I can see it. I can see it when something's been pushed on people versus yeah. when they've just done it in a natural kind of way. It, everything feels better as well. Yeah. Because you're not really having to rush, are you? You're not having no. to rush. No, no, not at all. And I've had a lot of time to think about this. And actually, um, my my second stylist, Beth, coming in, she again is very different to Polly and Chelsea so she's very holistic in her approach um she's very into meditation nature so she's a de very different uh, very different employee but she also needs to be mentored in a different way so she's teaching me a different way like I'm quite aware of mental health and I feel like she's really made not that you know not that it's a problem but she's really made me understand how some people are a lot of a lot of hairstylists are naturally quite out there and quite bubbly. I think it's like one of those things. Whereas um, Beth is very calm and very placid, and she's quite a bit more introverted. Um, and first of all, I'd be like, "You're right, sure, you're right," because don't really say much. And then she's like, "Yeah, I'm fine." But what I've realised is she's just very zen. She's very like her approach in her clients is she likes to read her body language of her clients and just kind of, you know, go with it. And that works. So interrupt you there, but have you, have you found as well, because this is something that we have, and it's the reason why I want to bring it up is how just, again, how dips so my team is 30, right? right. So it's, <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it's a very different, but again, we have that really broad range of stylists. We have the really extrovert, and then we have those karma, like ones that don't even really talk to their clients, but actually their entire clientele is exactly like that. Yes, that's exactly what I was going to say. So everything is attraction marketing here because we don't yeah. have a run. So what I've taught part of the girls mentorship is teaching them social media. So what I've taught them is, you know, when you're posting on your social media, don't post the same way I would post, like post 
who you are like what's it about for you so we're all talking about the same salon but you talk about the experience that you give your client when they come in the salon when my clients come in the salon they are guaranteed a bloody good laugh let me tell you that so yeah yeah, yeah. no true I can tell spreading around with them I've always got something to say it's just yeah. me that's who I attract yeah um whereas Beth is she's just she's very professional she's just very she'll sit and have a chat and have a laugh with you but then she equally will switch off and actually I think I probably should do that sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah but the thing is with it is I think but then that's what makes you you it's exactly the same yeah. as me is it's like you know when I'm in the salon working there is a completely different vibe in our in our business because I end up bantering with everybody you know yeah, and- yeah that's you know, I my my personal status is an entertainer. That's exactly what it is, which is why I do this bloody is a job as well. You know, but what I want to get to just one, and it's fantastic listening to you because I can I can hear the passion in you and exactly what it is. Is so we've got this this split, haven't we, in our industry? Okay, we've got this like we've got employers like me in terms of having a salon with rent and rates and everything else. And then we've then got now this kind of potentially new model that's being created by somebody like yourself. So you've got your home and then you've got your business next door to it. What does that look like to you in terms of like the future? You know, in terms of the industry, because I'm sorry, because yours is already flipped, isn't it? It's gone from it being about you and one person to now you're employing people. So it's Mm -hmm. changing. So do you see yourself adding, you know, you'll always, always keep it to that size or would you bring an assistant in now, like an apprentice? Oh, that's a hard one. I I thought about an apprentice a few times, but again, what I always go back to is the ethos. What does the client want when they're in there? Because you're only as good as the clients that come through the door. So I think what the client wants is to sit down, have a laugh if they want to, or be a bit zen, you know, whatever they want. They want to sit down, they want to have a professional service in an environment that is not really quiet but like quieter than a buzzy salon because there's everybody um will have something that suits them some people will suit having their hair done at home um with a mobile stylist so they can go and feed the kids while they've got their foils in somebody else will go no I want to go into a high street I want the buzz of the high street the banter all that sort of stuff and then you have this other proportion of people that suit the home salon so they go right I want to know that I can park on the drive I've got no problems with parking I want to go in I want to stick my laptop on with their wi-fi code and just chill so we do like I see two clients at a time but the girls do one-to-one basis so it's it's just a different way of working I would say um and I yeah I think there is I think there is a place for everybody but I definitely can see a massive rise in home salons and I think the reason for that is A, because of the lockdown and B, because of the freedom and flexibility that you can have from working from home. Uh-huh. So I've not been in a salon environment for such a long time. So I don't know what opportunities are in salons anymore. You only ever hear like when whenever I speak to people, they say, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to go freelance because I don't want to work really long hours anymore. And I don't want to do this and I don't want to do that. So, you know. I can only presume, because I'm not a star, I'm not a high street salon only myself, I can only presume that the the rules are stricter and what they're looking for is freedom and flexibility. Interestingly, so the and I'm really glad you brought that up. So you're hundred percent right in my perspective, is that what is there? 80 million people in the UK now, and there there was 40,000 salons, and now there's something like 31, I think. So 
I think there is an opportunity for everybody. I think mm. there is a place for everybody. From my perspective as an employer, the biggest things we've had to do is be flexible. I, I've had to 100% bend in a very different way. We've we've tried to make it so if the, exactly like you've done. If the team want to work four days and they want to do longer days, well, they can do that. That's fine. If the team want to do seven days a week, they can do that. That's fine. I think that's the biggest thing you've got to do as a that's salon true. owner now. Is Sorry, that a lot of stylists um, working in salons are women. I know there is male hairstylists, but a lot of the time they're going to go off and have babies and then they go, well, is it easier for me to just start up at home when I've got my baby or is my boss going to let me come back and be a bit more flexible? Yeah. And I know when I was younger working in salons, everybody that had a baby pretty much left because they couldn't, they couldn't come back full time. Yeah. And we're the opposite. And I think that's where we've been really successful as a team is that, you know, we just basically like guys, when you come back, come back in whatever way you can. You know, yeah. you can do two days. That's great. If you can do 10 till three because it's around school pickup, then do it. I don't I think I think that's where it's become that old school. Yeah. You know? And I and I think the industry needs a big shift. I yeah, that's really interesting to say that because I think that's what, as I say, I don't know enough about it. But I only know from freelancers coming to me and saying, I want to start a home salon and this is why. So this isn't me judging high street salons. This is me just saying this is from my experience of people coming to me. It doesn't seem like there's a lot of flexibility, but it's amazing that you're giving people that flexibility because it it clearly works. Yeah. So no, um, I think what I think what it is is that because for me there's this shift I within the industry, and I'm and I'm probably becoming more vocal about it than ever because I have a, a place where I feel like I can do it. But I think for the industry to grow and to get back to what I think it should be, number one, there needs to be this kind of industry standard that we we push towards. You know, I have this massive thing about pricing. Where we've got a big podcast about it next week because I think the pricing structure in most places is crazy. It's no wonder salons are going pop all the time because they're not making enough money, which doesn't make any sense because we do an incredible job. But then again, in terms of, you know, salon owners are looking at well, how much am I turning over? How many, you know, how many stylists have I got on this day? I think what you've got to do is you've got to be able to look at your business and go, what do I need to generate? Okay. And then just manage it correctly. So if you know you've got, you know, we've got half our team are part-time, you know, yeah. it's half of them. But actually those part-timers, when they work, they're some of the biggest turnover stylists because they're the most experienced, you know, yeah. when they're in, they're incredible. You know, yeah. their, their frequency, their return ratios are just another level. Um, but the difference is because you've given them that flexibility when they come in and they're not with the kids or doing nothing, they love it. Gonna work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They just love it. And I and I think if salon owners get to a stage where they suddenly go, look, you know, because I don't want like I always think about like hairdressing is it should be on the high street. It should be that thing. It should be the corner salon in the local area. It should be. And. I think I want that to get back to like it was. Yeah. I don't want. I agree. Shop. You'd hate to see a high street with no salons, wouldn't you? That would just be awful. So I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, there's there's such a massive market for high street salons. And it's such a shame as what's happened since the lockdown. And you're right. The industry is seeing a change. And maybe people that are starting salons will, will start with a different kind of um what am I going to say? Outlook on it. 
you know, to sort of like what you're doing with the flexibility and stuff. And I completely agree what you said about the numbers, because although my salon's a small salon, we're quite high priced in our area. Um, And I remember when I first sort of started um, sort of doing Facebook and stuff, and people would bring up and say, how much is it? And they say, that's a lot of money for a home salon, isn't it? I'd be like, well, I don't know. What does the home salon charge then? (laughs) (laughs) Do you know what? That's really interesting. Um, But actually, how I worked my prices out was, what's my overheads? What's my hourly rate? What does everything cost? So breaking everything down, like what does that colour cost me? How much does that product cost me? Um, so that's how I made my prices. And actually, we've never, we've never made a loss. So we've we've done okay. Um, and actually, like they've had to change as things have changed. And have um, you noticed that with the costs? Because I mean, again, as a home salon, so you still, so how does that work? Okay, so if somebody's there, are they, you know, are you do you pay business rates? Do you you um, know so, so I don't have to, which is great. Um right. there is there is a lot of when you start a home salon, there's a lot of due diligence that you need to do. Some councils won't allow certain things. I've happened to have been so lucky that there haven't really been any blocks on what I wanted to do. Um so and I've only got a small room. So when it comes to business rates, it's you know that it's all to do with the size and all that sort of stuff yeah so it's been quite good like that for me um it might change when I go to the new salon it might change and I just have to factor that in so that's absolutely fine um so for me I don't really have many overheads I've got my wi-fi um a contribution to water and electric and that type of stuff and the rest of it very lucky very lucky do you know know, know, I'm paying electric every month at the minute Oh, I dread to think. 2,600 a month. <laughs> we're kind of at 600 a month. So, um, wow, there you go. Brilliant. <laughs> so I have been really, really lucky like that. So a lot of it is my um, is my stock. So the way that I work it is, okay, what have we earned that month? Take away back, take away tax, take away wages, all that sort of stuff. And then whatever's left over, I'll say, right, well, let's stick that in account for education or, you know, whatever it is. So I'm always looking to progress. So that's where I spend my money in the business. So it's like, like, what course can we do next? You know, what's the next best thing that's out? Let's do this. So, yeah, so we, we've, in regards to overheads, we are like so, so lucky that you can basically afford to pay the girls a bit more or, you know, afford to say, right, well, we're going to do a photo shoot. That's, we do a client photo shoot every year. So we get all of our clients together. Uh, not all of them but we you know, have a selection of clients together and then we do the hair and makeup we do stuff that we want to show on our social media um so that all gets paid for out the business and all that sort of stuff so it's yeah there's lots of there's so much more flexibility it's in i mean for me this is probably the first conversation that i would say i've really had with somebody who is doing it and doing it for me what i would say in the right way yeah Okay, because I think there's a lot of people that are doing what I would class as the sort of hairdressing I don't think you should be doing at home, you know. And the thing is with it is that it's great to hear you're investing because I I think the biggest thing within our industry is that, I mean, I'm sort of treating it as, again, the industry standard. I, I look at some of the quality of the work now that tends to come in and I am really shocked. And, and that, that for me is one of the biggest worries about this the whole kind of self-employment thing and people not investing in themselves 
in order yeah. to upskill themselves because i i think personally you're quite unique um in what you're doing there you know i think there's a lot of people that aren't because yeah. because of how they're working with that kind of rent a chair sort of system i think some of that is a bit of a mindset like for me i'm always i always want to challenge myself so every year i've got to learn something new or do something new so like the girls have never done photo shoots before so this year we're creating our own collection because they've never done it before so I'm like let's learn how to do this it's gonna be amazing let's go for it um, which again I will invest in that and you know it, that will be all part of you know the standard in the company we've had already this year we've had Ben Brown um doing some cutting training for us um I'm on a Sophia Hilton course next week uh what else have we done this year Carlo Olivieri so there's there's always something that we've got that we're learning which is brilliant um, and I think with freelancers, I've always done that from my freelance career. Like I've, I used to, back in the day before old Instagram and everything, I would just contact agencies and say, is there anyone that I can assist? Is anyone doing, um, oh, what do they used to call them? What are the shoots that you do testing? You know, test, where you don't test shoots. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would say, was anyone doing a test shoot? Do they want a hairdresser or do they need an assistant? So that was how I learned. I would just keep working for free to push myself and learn and understand at the moment I'm doing project x yeah so I'm excited about project x because I'll be learning all about afro hair and all different stuff on that um but I do definitely think it's a lot easier in our days to be educated and there's a lot of free education but people don't seem to tap into that so if you're a freelancer it's the best time to be a freelancer because you've got Instagram, Facebook, all of these groups, um, support groups, education groups, they're all free, but yep. you can learn. Or even things like Emma Fowler does, you know, I pay $24.99 a month because Polly's really into her colour. So she does Emma Fowler's um, online training each month. Um, but stuff like that, it's, it's so, like training is so affordable these days that actually you can keep the standard up. Yeah. And that's why there's that big shift. I mean, it's interesting because we had we had an academy at the salon, which was for a colour brand. And then basically because of COVID, people weren't sort of travelling to it as much. It became more online. So there is that sort of shift. Um, and I can see like with my team, that's what they're doing. Exactly like what you're saying, like Polly Fowler and stuff is that people are doing that. You know, yeah. they're looking, you can see it so much more. So I don't think there's any excuse for it. But I think the problem with it is whether people are doing it in the right, the right yeah. way. I and is that a confidence is. thing? Is that they've left a salon, they've gone on their own because they felt they wasn't confident enough to be in a salon or whatever. And now they don't know how to reach out. So they're just getting by. Well, interestingly, this is what I was going to say. This is just one of the things I wanted to discuss. But we've, um, so we were in Dublin a couple of weeks ago, a big salon owner's summit. There was a huge group of guys that have come over from America. And what they've started to notice is actually there's been the shift. There's been the shift from booth renting and being self-employed to actually people coming back into salons and wanting to be employed in. Because what they've missed is number one is a lot of them have missed being on, the, you know, with people yeah, being, hey, being, yeah. being on their own. A lot of people have found that they're quite lonely. They haven't, yeah. they haven't kind of enjoyed it. They've missed the creative element because they're able to bounce back yeah. off of each other. But also, again, from the education thing, they've missed that support that, you know, the salons that invest. Yeah. So they've been able to grow. So they've started to notice this shift. And it's interesting because I just wonder, everything tends to happen in America first. Yeah, yeah. Starts right. over here. Yeah. Um, 
And I was chatting with Marcus Allen last week on a podcast. And and I wonder if that's, and he thinks it is, he thinks it's going to start creeping over into the UK because yeah. I've seen it. Like we've had a couple of stylists that left us like during COVID who set up garden kind of salons yeah. and they've now actually gone and bought businesses. So they've yeah. moved over. Um, yeah. So I'm quite interested to see how that. Yeah, that's interesting. I was mentoring for a lady the other day and she's a freelancer and she's been a freelancer for about five years. And when we went through and really went through, like, what is it you want? What do you want to do? She wants to be in a salon. She misses salon life. She went freelance because it was better for her after her kids, but she misses salon life. So we've decided, you know, don't set up a salon in your garden. Like, try that first. Like, go to, I actually recommended someone like um, Hunter Collective. You know, like, why don't you go into London, go to Hunter Collective, go and work as a freelancer in a in a space where you can bounce off of each other, do all of that sort of stuff, see how you get on. And if it's not for you, then do the other stuff, you know. Um, but I think it's different people um, thrive in different ways. So, and I've noticed that through my girls that's worked here, like um, some people need more nurturing. Some people just want that little bit of banter, a little bit of team effort, you know, like I personally love being a team with the girls now and I was a solo artist for such a long time that actually when I first started working with people being a team I sort of think actually this is what I feel was missing because I did like being in a salon I just left and did my own thing because other opportunities came so yeah I think there's really, I think there's so many positives to being a salon team I just think there's been a little bit of a shake-up in the industry um, and maybe some of the rules are maybe a bit dated and need to be a bit more flexible, as you said, you're doing in your salon. Yeah. Maybe that's, I think that's what there needs to happen. I yeah. Think, I think we can all, I mean, the interesting thing for me is also is we've got this incredible community. Like, you know, the thing that I think I've found probably in the last couple of years is I don't think I've ever spoke to so many hairdressing <laughs> salon owners, like yeah. who now share everything. They never used to share shit they would share nothing it was like it was our business and that was it didn't it i would say they used to like yeah and it's incredible because you know i've now got to a stage where i mean i'll tell everybody anything about the business it doesn't really bother me anymore because i'm like well there's plenty of business for everybody so what are you worried about just share everything because actually if we all share then we all grow and then you know every business becomes better the quality becomes better the standards becomes better and then actually the industry profile, and I think that's my, it's kind of like my mission. Yeah. But like, I want the industry to really push, you yeah. know, it's it's like we talk about money, you know, I want stylists earning, you know, great sums of money because it changes their lifestyle. We know that we're in a situation where costs aren't going to go. They're yeah. only going to stay where they are now. They ain't going to get any cheaper, you know, yeah. but they might keep going. But if everybody's earning more money, it's not, it's not really a problem and isn't it amazing that there's no glass ceiling on what you can earn in the hairdressing industry I just think that is something like when I first went into hairdressing there was like all the really bright kids at school that all went off to be accountants and lawyers and blah blah and there was this stigma attached to hairdressing like oh well if you go into hairdressing it's because you didn't do very well on your GCSEs I didn't do very well on my GCSEs I have to say but That wasn't why I went into I went into hairdressing. I always wanted to be in hairdressing. I was in hairdressing before I even left school. But actually, like, it, I can only imagine in a in a 
in an office environment, again, I've never worked in an office environment, so I don't know. Yes, there's going to be these ladders that you reach up, but it's got to stop somewhere. Yeah. Whereas I think hairdressing, it consistently consistently evolves. So, you know, your prices do go up and things change. And the more experience you get, the more money you charge. Yeah. Um, and you can do things like what I'm doing or, you know, whatever. There's always something, there's always an opportunity out there. And it is really incredible. It's a really incredible industry to be in. But yeah. it's quite undervalued by anyone outside of the industry it's a bit like oh just just a hairdresser and i'll tell you what i do that more than ever with the business communities yeah if i go to like an event and people say what do you do and i'm like i'm a salon owner and they go oh yeah Uh, okay (laughs) and then then you end up going and then like oh how big is it and you go i've got 30 staff seven figures whatever and then they go oh yeah changes and that's when that's what really pisses me off you know because it is you're right I mean you know it's an incredible industry across the board and there and there is a you know there's so much you can do there's so many avenues and again I just wanted to touch base and go back on and we were talking about apprenticeships and this this would just be something so for me in terms of like the salon employees association and the whole thing that we're trying to do our only worry at the minute is the fact that apprenticeships have had this nosedive you know, the, the the rate of take up has dropped dramatically. And that's why I was asking, you know, you there in the situation that you're in is that would you, you know, think about introducing like an apprentice? Because I think our probably biggest issue is as salon owners, let's say more high streety, you know, you've got like 38%, 39% of the industry basically is training a hundred percent of the industry. Yeah, that's true actually no. it's something that I should do the reason I the reason I haven't done it is because I feel there'd be a bit of a spare part in a small room so we'd only really need the apprentice to shadow and learn what they want to learn wash hair make tea sweep up but actually my room's four meters by four meters so what they're going to do when they're not doing that whereas there's a you know in a high street salon they've always got something to do there's always someone to look after so that's why I kind of felt like where would I put this apprentice <laughs> um in the other salon as it's bigger it might be easier and actually maybe I could look at taking on an apprentice and doing more one-to-one with them training yeah. which they train quicker rather than they're training yeah. you know lasting it is something like, for me just listening to you I I would think that would be incredible to have just to have one almost like you have one person a year or one person every two years and they have this opportunity to be mentored by you and, and the guys that you work with because they would grow rapid, you yeah. know, and actually they'll probably come really cost effective to you because yeah. actually you can probably turn them around in six months and they could be earning money. Yeah. Okay. Well, I have got a, I have got a mission that I haven't quite started yet, but I have got a mission um, going forward about having my own academy, which would very much be not in my house, but would very much be I've got my salon. I've got um, an academy on the side and it is very much like the, these are trained to work in the salon, if you know what I mean. So that that's part of the mission going forward. Um, but yeah, I haven't done that yet. So <laughs> no, it's, it's only because it's one of the biggest topics that we've, we've had, I think, within the association is that most of us will go, God, we end up spending, you know, thousand pound a month or whatever. You know, we've got four apprentices or three, four. Um, and because of the cost that we tend to be then doing, and then there's that moment of where people or youngsters, they do their two years and then they bugger off and go and do something. And it's that investment that I think 
salon owners are now going, well, hang on, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I think if we're Is all working together to grow the industry. Yeah, yeah, the buck's falling with you guys. So maybe that is something that I should look into because that's, well, there's no I in team, is there? So, like, I think I can completely see where you're coming from there. You're investing in this apprentice, giving them all this, all your time and knowledge, and then they're going, right, lovely, see you later. Yeah, yeah, and that is the biggest argument. Honestly, it's the biggest stress for, you know, something we've been trying to push is that, you know, potentially from a government perspective, it's a bit like, well, I don't mind paying people's wages. I've got no issues about our youngsters because they're exceptional. But at the end of their training, if there was like a kickback or something, yeah, like maybe like to be like qualified with you guys for the first year or something. Like yeah. there should be something because they they aren't thinking, oh, these guys have invested so much in me. They're thinking, well, I've done my apprenticeship. I want to go somewhere else. They're, they're not actually thinking like that. Yeah. Um, that's something that I had to kind of get my head around with um, mentoring these guys. Like I'm literally putting everything into them and they can pretty much go and do what they want whenever they want. Um, and it is a bit of a it is a bit of a kick in the teeth but I think the way that I'm looking at it is the way that I see things now is my job is to help them be independent like they're probably not going to stay at my salon forever I get that I'd like them to stay as long as they can but then there'll be somebody else that will need that opportunity that will then come through so imagine that person that you've trained and mentored almost is that yeah, that, yeah. that's the way that we've always tried to treat it so when you were saying about like the flexibility we were like well actually if we you know if we've trained our youngsters up to this standard when somebody goes off they're able to kind of yeah so yeah. And, and also when they're working with somebody like if you were off sick and it was maybe your assistant actually your your guests would probably be pretty happy to have yeah. that person because they know that they're doing it the way you do it yeah. um, so I, I think that it's that it's that cycle of life. It's like yeah. you know, that, and that's what I want us as an industry to do more. Yeah, you're right though. You could, if there was a difference in mindset and there was more of a collaboration between the assistant and the salon, then that could be a lot more powerful than them jumping from salon to salon to salon. Because actually going up through the ranks in you know a really good salon, the the trust and everything that you build with them is you know it's pretty incredible well there's a big thing now and i think we've got to think about this generations or the generations that we've now got you know our apprentices now are like amazon prime you know they want it now you yeah. know they want to be you know the the influencer that you know i've got it in my team now you know literally they're saying i'm going to be an influencer in the next six months you know i'm like <laughs> okay i'm like crack on you know yeah. but I, I think because they want it quickly, like I think also salon owners, we've, you know, regardless of what level your business is at, I think you've got an obligation to try and build that and, and yeah. grow them quickly because I never really understand why you want to take on an apprentice and pay them a thousand pound a month and not turn them around quickly. Yeah. You know, it doesn't really make any sense. You don't want them cleaning the salon, doing everything. You want them right. learning the job. cleaner. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah. and and I think that's where the industry has got to get to. We've got to get to a stage where we're going, right, OK, this person is coming in. We're going to educate them quickly. I'm going to make them earn money, even if you get them doing, you know, basic blow dries and one length haircuts and application of colour. Well, you can earn a thousand a month out of doing that, you know. Yeah. Or even doing like um, 
taking you know pictures and doing your salon social media like they're all so yeah like go around to all your stylists taking pictures before and after jewelry make a little reel they could have 10 reels on the go each day exactly and that's what we've done we've put a whole team together now and it's all the youngsters that want to do it so for us my our marketing's never been so good you know so there's that there i mean Callie, it's amazing chatting to you i feel like we i, I feel like i don't want i want to stay in contact with you i'd love to like catch up because i think okay. there's loads of energy um which is brilliant what i always like to do is um always when i get to the end of the show i always do this little final five right um so the final five is five quick questions uh you don't have to go crazy with them but it's always just uh, a simple ender so uh, in 2022 what was your biggest learning my biggest learning was um, figuring out who I wanted to be as a boss. Love that. I love mm-hmm. that. Did you, what, how did you just kind of just quit? How'd you come to that? Did you list it? And then- um, by, so basically learning, learning by, I, like, I don't like to say mistakes. I like to say like curveballs or just like, there's no failure. There's only lessons. So I think for me, recognizing the boundaries between friendship and boss was a big thing. Cause obviously people come into my home and I'm like, come in. Like, <laughs> You know, so understanding that actually there's a different, I, I like to be a team. I don't like to have a hierarchy, but just understanding the boundaries. And that's something that I learned. And yeah, so that was a hurdle that I overcome. Yeah. Brilliant. I love that. Um, let's have a look. First thing you do in the morning and the last thing you do before you go to bed. I write a gratitude journal. So I write, I've got an app on my phone and I write down what I'm grateful for. Oh, yes. <laughs> I, I honestly I cannot go anywhere without these things yeah I've got an app on my phone and I write it down and sometimes the kids say what are you grateful for today but yeah it's important to me yeah that's good I like that and um, this this one always gets people because it's like favorite piece of advice and then the worst piece of advice that you've been given the worst piece of advice I was given was on a course, um, which I suppose was more of a generic course rather than um, aimed at home salon owners. And it was about um, discounts, about getting new clients and giving big discounts. And discounts are not for me. They completely devalue my brand. Yeah. And going back to the pricing, when I did my prices, I know exactly what my margin is and exactly what I make on each service. So I know exactly what discount I could potentially give. So when they were saying about having these really big discounts to get people through the door, I was like, that's going to cost me more money than it is to have them in my door. So that was the worst piece of advice. Um, the best piece of advice, what can I say that was? I did write something down earlier. Um, <laughs> oh, the best piece of advice was when I had my hair scare and someone said to me, you can't look after everybody else unless you're looking after yourself. And that was something that that definitely stuck with me until I had a mind blank a minute ago. Good, I love that. <laughs> it's, it's interesting because from my perspective, from coaching, uh, the thing that the analogy that I always use is when you're on a plane and they always tell you, you put your mask on first before you can yes. look after somebody yes. else. And it's exactly that. Yes. It, it's not possible. So that's great. Um, what's one thing you can't live without? My daughter. Love that. <laughs> <laughs> so glad you said that because honestly listeners how many times have you heard somebody say my phone oh no i didn't even oh, think about my phone oh my god honestly Callie, i cannot tell you i literally have to tell them off <laughs> <laughs> it's like what yeah jesus um where are we da, 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 da. and then one rule you think we should all abide by um being kind kindness costs nothing so i think if you can be kind then the world will be kind to you 
I love that. There you go. Keep it simple. Be kind. Um, Cal, it's been absolutely amazing to have you on the show today. Really appreciate Thank it. Thank you for having me. And um, where can we find you on the socials? Where can people find you? Um, Instagram, I'm under Callie Borg Hair, um, the lifestyle hairstylist. Um, and I've got a website, which is just calliborg.com. So go and check Callie out. All of the details will be in the show notes. Uh, and I'll catch up with you next time on A Hair Life. Have a good day. See you soon.